You know, last week we focused on the walls of Jericho. If you remember that story, it was an incredible story, and there were some lessons to be learned. A few of those things were, first of all, silence is key. I don't know how many of you practiced that this week, just being silent. That was sort of awkward for you. That was sort of a challenge we put out last week. Obedience is another key. What instructions did God give you and say, okay, I'm going to do this. God told me to do it, I'm going to do it. Obedience is key. The last thing we said is obedience to the end, to persevere, to keep going. Because a lot of times we hear God say, go do this. We're like, okay, I'll do it. And we try it and it doesn't work and we stop. And God said, no, I didn't say stop. I keep doing this, keep obeying. So we talked about that last week. We read about Jericho and it may have sounded like a weird story. Matter of fact, a lot of us hear weird stories all the time. If we were to go around, we could probably share, oh, this is really weird that happened to me this week, and this was really crazy, this was strange. But let me say this about Jericho and the walls falling due to the silence and the blowing of the ram's horns. It wasn't weird. It was incredible. It was simply incredible. Now, we said, though, when there's an incredible happening, there's an incredible God behind it, and as followers of Jesus Christ, who... We trust and love that God that we love does incredible things in our lives. So guess what happens? We start going out following this incredible God and we start doing things different than the world. And people look at us and they say, you're weird. Right? I don't know if you've been accused of being weird for God lately, but that's not a bad thing. Well, unless you're biting snakes or something, then that's weird. Don't do that, okay? But... When you're being obedient to God, sometimes he's going to say to go do things, and you're like, I'll do it, but it's a little different. My, my words, my behavior, my actions, it's going to be different than the world. Yes. People may translate it as being weird. We call it being obedient because that's what God commanded us to do. So here's this great story last week we talked about. It was a great story of victory. Look at the person next to you. Give him a high five and say, victory. It's a little weak for some of you. Okay, now they didn't really fly too well. I know some of you might be sitting by yourself or you turned one way and the other, you left the other person hanging. They're like, there's somebody there. So let's try it again. Give two people high five, say victory. Go for it. Do it. There we go. Yes. Now, I, I just heard somebody snore. It's Chris and Dr. Head. Okay. But here's the thing. After the victory of Jericho, there were some high fives going on. There was some smiling. There might have been a few snorts, but there was some, there was some laughter. There was, yes, God's awesome. Right? And so there, I want you to, to picture what's going on here because when we closed up chapter 6, it says this, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his reputation, his fame was spread throughout the land. It was an incredible thing. There was excitement, right? But unfortunately, unfortunately, there's that downside. Unfortunately, we don't always respond in obedience as God commands. Matter of fact, open up your Bibles. Let's go to the book of Joshua again. Near the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, then Joshua. You're right there. Joshua chapter 6. Because here's there's something that took place in this story we didn't talk about. We just talked about the walls falling down, which is pretty incredible, okay? But in chapter 6, verse 17, it says this. Jericho and everything, let me hear you say everything, Everything. So that includes what? 
everything. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's really simple Hebrew, okay? Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. So God says, oh, by the way, after the walls come down and you go in, everything must be destroyed. Oh, wait, except, read on, only Rahab and the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. If you remember that story um, in earlier chapters. Verse 18, do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed. And you'll bring trouble on the camp of Israel. That seems pretty clear, right? So we're supposed to destroy everything except Rahab and her family and people that were in her house. Don't take anything that's set out for destruction. Don't put it in your pockets. Don't hide it anywhere. It doesn't belong to you. Verse 19. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. So God laid out these simple instructions. Everything's going to get destroyed except for Rahab and these four metals, those will be brought into the temple. Everything else, destroyed. Those were the instructions. So completely destroy everything, really clear. But let's read on to chapter 7, verse 1. But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. Let's read this again. But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Nathan had stolen some of these dedicated things. The Lord was angry with them. Nathan, was it, was it not clear? Look what happens. Verse 2. Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, east of Bethel, near Bethaven. And when they returned, they told Joshua, Hey, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two, maybe 3,000 men to attack this city. And since there's so few of them, let's not make all of our people struggle to go up there. We got this. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries. They killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events. Their courage melted Away. Did you hear that last verse? The Israelites were paralyzed with fear. Their courage just melted away. Wait, didn't we just celebrate Jericho? Weren't we just high-fiving? Yes! And then all of a sudden, we're running in fear. We're paralyzed by what happened. This doesn't make sense. This is the only defeat, the only defeat of the invading forces of Israel that's recorded in Joshua. The only report where Jews were actually slain in combat. You sit here and think, well, what happened? How can such a defeat take place after such a great victory? What's going through the minds of these people? I mean, if that was you, you just won the most incredible game, and then you come over here and you play this no-name team, and you get soundly defeated. And you sort of walk back to the locker room, thinking, what just happened? But this isn't just a game. These were lives. 36 on a retreat down the slope were slaughtered. What happened? God, where are you at, right? I don't know if you've had those moments where one day you're on cloud nine. Everything's really good, and the next year you're getting struck by lightning. You know what I'm saying? I read the story about a guy who went fishing. After fishing, a good day, a good catch. He loaded up his, his fishing house on the snowmobile trailer. 
and he, he took his, he had this huge um, fish trap full of fish that he caught, put that on the trailer, started to head back home, 80 miles in the dark. He got home, got to the back of his trailer, everything was gone. His fish trap, all this was gone. Somewhere in the dark in those 80 miles, he lost everything he caught. He just had an awesome day, a great day, caught a lot, all this fish, gone. Good day, gone bad. Can you relate? I'm sure some of you can, right? So what happened? Let's look at verse 6. Verse 6, it says, So Joshua and the elders, they tore their clothing in dismay. That's what happened in biblical times. When you were very sad and something horrible happened, you tear your clothes, you pour ashes upon your head. They bowed face down the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. They cried out, O sovereign Lord, why? Isn't that fair? When something bad happens to us, to go to God and say, why? Why, God? Why did you bring us across the Jordan River? Why did you bring us all the way over here? You, you parted the Jordan. We come across. Incredible. Just so the Amorites can kill us? Is that, is that, is that why? If only we'd just been content and stayed on the other side. Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land hear about it, they'll surround us, they'll wipe your name, our name, off the face of the earth. And then what will happen to the honor of your great name, God? Again, as if Joshua can manipulate God. God, we might as well just stay on the other side. Our name is disgraced now. And look what's going to happen to your name, God. God's like, you think God was sitting up in heaven going, oh, you're right. My name, my name's destroyed. No. But in this, what do we hear? We hear the pain of Joshua's voice, right? He said a rotten day. And he was honest with God. On bent knee, torn clothing, ashes on his head, he comes to God and he says, why? You know, a lot of times we... We come up with excuses or we ignore the fact and we don't go to God. We don't ask Him the question. I'm telling you, it's okay to go to God and ask why. When you have a bad day, go ask Him. God, why did this happen? I don't understand. He may give you an answer. He may not. He may just say, keep obeying me. Just trust me on this. So what happened? Were the Israelites overconfident? Did they get a little too cocky? Were they like, hey, hey we knocked down Jericho. This little town, these little people, this is nothing. Did they get overconfident maybe? Remember verse 3, when they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack. Maybe it was a lack of prayer. Because you remember when they went to Jericho, they fell down before the Lord. Joshua again took a knee before our Savior. Had this long conversation. Prayed up. Right? But this situation, we didn't see anything about prayer. They scouted out the city, grabbed some people and went. Nothing about prayer here. Maybe that was it. Maybe they didn't consult God before attacking. Because these things are evident in defeat, especially in our life, right? When we become overconfident or when we lack prayer, we're sure to face defeat in our life. That just happens. So those ingredients are good to cook up a loss, but I don't know if that was a complete reason for their defeat, was it? It wasn't. Because if you look, we find out why they lost. It's called sin in the camp. Sin in the camp. Look at uh, what God says to Joshua in verse 10 
of chapter 7. Verse 10, but the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Remember, he's down crying before the Lord. Why, why, why? God says, get up. Why are you laying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They've stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. They've not only stolen them, but they've lied about them. They've hidden the things among their belongings. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now Israel has been set apart for destruction. And I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. So God says, you want to know why you lost? You want to know why there's defeat in your life? Because there's sin in the camp. I told you what to do. Somebody disobeyed. Because somebody disobeyed, you're all going to lose. Sounds sort of harsh, right? But here's what you need to know about God. We'll talk about how God is love, right? But we also need to talk about how God is holy. God takes sin seriously. And if God takes sin seriously, don't you think his followers should take sin seriously too? Absolutely. And we may not take sin seriously at times, but God does. And sin's the real cause of defeat for God's people. God's not going to remain with them as long as there is sin in the camp. And I believe this story is recorded here to help us understand something here. To help us understand how, how sin starts and progresses and grows. And finally it gets to a point of where we just face defeat. We're so entangled in it. Here's the thing. The guilty party was one of Israel's soldiers. He was on the right side. He was on God's side. But he was disobedient. We can claim we're Christians, but just because we're Christians doesn't always mean we're acting Christ-like. And that can get us in trouble. What was God's command from the previous chapter? Do not take anything, right? Completely destroy everything. But Achan, who heard about the command, along with everybody else, saw the spoils of Jericho. He saw the stuff. He saw the bling. He saw the treasure. He saw the fine linens. He saw all this and more. And he's like, i got to have that. He saw it. He wanted it. He took it. He knew it was wrong, but he did it anyway. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon. 200 silver coins. I saw a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted it so much, I took them. They're hidden in the ground beneath my tent. And the silver cup, the silver is buried even deeper than the rest. So after this process, Achan comes out and he confesses. And, and the fact that he hid it, parents, you know this one. The fact that he hid it, he knew it was wrong. How many times, parents, have you caught your kids hiding what they knew was wrong? They were looking at something, they had something, they did something, they tried to cover it up, right? And the parents, the only reason we know that is because why? Because we did the same thing. Matter of fact, as parents, some of us still might be doing some of these things. Where we do something wrong, it's like, well, I can just hide it, I can cover it up. Nobody will ever know, right? And that's what Achan did. But his sin brought defeat to the whole army and into the next battle. Their deaths, their defeat, Achan's fault. Sort of harsh, right? How can one person's sin lead to others? How can, how can one mistake 
One person's selfishness caused the whole team to crumble. How many times have, uh, you know, for some of you, maybe have coached or you've been an athlete, you, you've seen the coach say, hey, uh, don't be late to practice. If, if you're late, whole team's going to run. Whole team, but I'm always on time. And you know there's always one player, one kid, who's always late, right? So what happens when I was coaching and I saw this? Those kids were always calling that one kid. If there's a time change, oh, they made sure he knew to get there because nobody else wanted to run because of that one, right? Has it ever happened in the classroom? Hey, either we all get this turned in together or we're all punished. I remember, vividly remember, fourth grade. Something about little erasers and taking erasers and tearing them into pieces and sitting in class and throwing them at people. I don't... Don't do this. I remember that happening in class. And, and I remember being involved, I guess. I don't know. Tommy made me do it. But I remember being involved. And I remember, you know, when we'd find those eraser pieces, we, you know, we had those desks, you know, open up, you know, put them in there and put them down. And I remember one day coming back from recess. And I opened up my desk and all the eraser pieces were gone. I thought, but Norman took them. He's probably getting more ammo to throw, right? Well, you know who took them? Mrs. Bell, the teacher. She had a big cup full of eraser pieces. Because what happened was the custodian would come in and sweep and then had a hard time sweeping because all these eraser pieces kept getting caught up in the broom. Couldn't figure out why there's eraser pieces all over her floor because certain kids were, me too, were throwing them at each other, okay? And here's what happened. We all got in trouble. Even though a few of us were doing it, we all got in trouble. So every every recess for the next week, we'd have to come in, and our teacher would take those eraser pieces and throw them all over the room. So for recess, we got to pick up eraser pieces off the floor. Yeah. You talk about defeat. Man. But here's the thing. Just because a few people were involved... Everybody got punished. You've probably seen that in work somewhere. We see it in our nation right now. Because of certain people doing certain things, we as a nation feel the brunt of it. Right? What led Achan to this act of disobedience? Because here's the thing. There was defeat that came from one man, his sin. What was that sin all about? Well, there was a progression here. Here's the first thing that happened. There was some dissatisfaction. And he was so dissatisfied with the way maybe God ordered the affairs of his life because it had to start somewhere like that. Think about this. He wore the same clothes for 40 years. Now, that's pretty dissatisfying, right, ladies? Sorry, it's become ladies. Men, too. Can you imagine wearing the same clothes for 40 years? And it never wore out. Sandals never wore out. I mean, what God did with those people was amazing. The same food for 40 years. Can you imagine that? No way, man. Chicken nuggets, fries, can't do it. Not not for 40 years. Okay? No money to save for the future. No stable home. They lived in tents their whole life. Hey, let's pick up the tent. We're moving again. Boom. Pitch the tent. There we go. Woo. And then they come to Jericho. Different food. There's money. There's houses. Wow. This satisfaction gives birth to disobedience. Let me say that again. Dissatisfaction gives birth to disobedience. 
It's that first seed that gets planted when you're dissatisfied with something. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 to 14 says this. You said in your heart, and then back up and say this, dissatisfaction was the root of Satan's sin. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I'll raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Satan didn't like his position. He wasn't satisfied with it. He wanted God's position. So because of his dissatisfaction and his wanting to be like God, it planted into disobedience. Here's the second thing. After dissatisfaction, it's the coveting. It's wanting something that doesn't belong to you. You're sort of dissatisfied with the way things are in your life. Like, you know what? What I really want is this. This looks really good. So you go from being dissatisfied to wanting something that isn't yours. Under the rules of war, a conqueror could seize the possession of the ones he defeats back in ancient history. So by the rules of war, they could have gone into Jericho and taken whatever they wanted by rule of war. But God made it very clear. Different rules for this game, gentlemen. You're not taking any of that. That belongs to me. and Destroy the rest. So instead of going with the typical rules of war, it was changed up. But Achan decided, well, how about this one time we stick with the rules of war? Because I'm not happy with what I've got going on in my life right now. And I really like what I'm seeing here. So, But here's the thing. He didn't win the battle, did he? God won the battle of Jericho. It wasn't the Hebrew people that knocked over those walls. It was God. That was God's victory. He was sort of setting a tone. And when God said, I've already given you this city. Remember, the victory is done. Just go pick up the package. But he wanted something that did not belong to him. The robe? Oh, the robe might have been really stylish. Think about this. 40 years, I'm getting rid of this. I'm putting on some new stuff. This is, this is looking good. This is feeling good. Right? But it wasn't his. It wasn't his. That's what we call materialism. We want what, what the world has to offer. Look at all the stuff this world has, and we can't wait for the next gadget, gadget, whatever, to put in our hands, to play with, to wear, to, to look at, to whatever, drive in. It's like, i got to have the next one. i got to have the next one. It's the materialism of this world. Here's, here's what I deal with, okay, for my own personal life. I don't watch the TV shows of the millionaire houses. Um, my family knows this. That shows, those shows drive me crazy, okay? I don't hang out in the malls and stores, okay? Why is that? Well, besides the fact that they put me in a coma, um, I just I walk into those places, and what do I see? Stuff I can't afford. I just know this. If I walk into a store, I'm going to see stuff that I can't buy. So why put myself through the agony of looking at stuff I can't own and I don't want or I shouldn't have? So I don't like going to malls, okay? Um, unless there's a good food court. I can handle that, okay? But here's the thing. But when I those, watch those TV shows, oh, this house is listed at $400,000. I'm thinking, Whoo. yeah, that's... This shack is listed at 20 bucks. I'm in. Okay. Um, but when, you, when I look at all those shows, I'm thinking, I can't. I don't want to look at that because that just makes me, what, want to have it. Do I need it? No. So why put myself in position? Now, I'm just sharing with you. That's me. Okay? This isn't a sermon to you about that. Okay? I'm just sharing with you my personal part there. 
So for me, I say, because I know I would struggle with that, I just I stay away from it. It's not mine. I don't want to be tempted. Okay? So here's what I would say to you. Be careful of what is not yours. Be careful of what is not yours. And if you know you long for the materialistic stuff, there are certain things out there you say, man, I really like it. Then do me a favor. Don't put yourself in position to really look at it, stare at it, want it more. Because you almost get to that point where you start comparing what you don't have and what you want with what you do have, what happens? You become dissatisfied. Because if you compare the things that you don't have and look really good with the things you do have, you will always be dissatisfied. you got to step back and say, God, thank you for what I have. It's good enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And walk away from that. Otherwise, you get into wanting what doesn't belong to you. And listen, that can go with anything. It can go with money. It can go with power and position. It can go with people. Gentlemen, guard your eyes. Guard your eyes. Be pure. It's so easy to look at another lady and to desire. Gentlemen, you know this. Ladies, guard your hearts. It's very easy to hear another man say something that maybe your husband isn't saying. Be careful, church. Because we can desire people just as easy as we can desire stuff. And it can tear us apart very quickly. For when we're not satisfied, we begin to want what's not ours. And you know what the next step is? We take it like Achan did. Dissatisfied, I want it, I take it. And that's what he did. His dissatisfaction, his wanting what didn't belong to him, led to the point of taking what wasn't his. And the Bible tells us that one day, the secret sins of life are going to be brought to light in judgment. How scary is that? Our sin will be exposed just as it was in the story. Look at Joshua 17, uh, 7, verse 19. Verse 19, it says, Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, by telling the truth. Make your confession. Tell me what you've done. Don't hide it from me. And Achan replied, it's true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw the beautiful robe from Babylon, 20 silver coins, a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much. I wanted them so much. I saw it. I said, I wanted them so much. I took them. They're hidden in the ground beneath my tent, and the silver buried deeper than the rest. So Joshua sent some of the men to search. And they ran to the tent. They found the stolen goods in there, just as he said, the silver buried beneath the rest. They took the things from the tent. They brought them to Joshua and the Israelites. And they, look at this, they laid them in the ground, what? Before the presence of the Lord. Don't miss that last verse. The stolen objects were unearthed and displayed before the people. More importantly, they were laid before God. Can you picture everybody when this is happening? Maybe they're in the room and, and they come in, they, they lay all this plunder down by Achan. Can you maybe see everybody else in the, in the room or in the tent sort of like, take a step back. There might be lightning coming down at any moment. This is not a good situation. I don't want to be associated with this right now, right? Verse 24, Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons, daughters, cattle, donkey, sheep, goats, tent. Tent, the tent they lived in, everything he had, they brought to the Valley of Acre. And Joshua said to Achan, why have you brought this trouble on us, the church, the people? 
the Lord will not bring trouble on you. And all the Israelites stoned Achan and his family and burned their bodies. They piled a great heap of stones over Achan, which remains to this day. That's why the place has been called the Valley of Trouble ever since. So the Lord was no longer angry. What a tragedy. You know, for some of us, we're looking at that story going, man, God's harsh. Why would God do this? Because God is a holy God. He can't stand the sight of sin. And we have made sin to look good. We've justified sin. We say, that's okay. It's all right, right? It's not. God had high hopes for these people. Through them, scriptures would be written. Prophets would come forward. Messiah would arrive. God needed them to trust Him. Not their strength, not their resources, not their ability, but trust God. To this point in time, God had been enough, right? Who opened up the Jordan River? Who opened up the Jordan River? God, right? Okay. Who led the people across on dry ground? God. Who appeared to Joshua? God. Who knocked down the walls of Jericho? That's all they've needed thus far is God. God cares for his people, right? We said God's with us. God loves us. God gives to us. God breathes into us and inspires us. God fights for us. He wants us to trust him, not our stuff. Not our bank account. Not our finances, not our 401k. Because all that stuff could be wiped out and gone. Who's still there? God. So we learn to trust him first. This is a story of warning, but it's also a story of proclamation of hope. You know, because at this point in time, some of you are saying, man, this a great sermon, Rex. Talk about God destroying us and sin. And let me tell you something. It's not just a story of warning, but it's also a proclamation of hope for the blessing that will come when sin is disclaimed, when sin is forgiven. There's good news. There's good news. See, God often graciously uses judgment to bring us, what, back to Him. If there were times when my parents didn't punish me, children, listen to this, okay? There's a reason you get disciplined. There's a reason you get spanked, time out, whatever, okay? There's a reason the belt comes off and you bend over, okay? Why? Because my parents, like, like beating me or something? No, because they're disciplining you. You know, we, I maybe talked about this before with the pencil, you know, with the pencil. The pencil's no good until you sharpen it. Once that pencil's sharpened, it can be put to purpose. But if that pencil is never sharpened, it cannot be used. Children, unless we're sharpened, unless we're disciplined, we're no good for God. Our purpose isn't brought forth. And God disciplines us, too, in saying this. As a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're not disciplined, you don't have a God that loves you. But because you do have a God that loves you, He will discipline you. He will bring about judgment. He will bring about moments when you're going to get sharpened. And it may hurt, but it's for His glory and your good. So let's figure this out. God is holy. Nothing evil, nothing wrong, not even a hint of sin, is in Him. And because He's holy, He can't stand the sight of sin. So us, sinful creatures... Coming before a holy God doesn't work out too well. So he calls us his children in John 1.12. Remember, that's your spiritual birth certificate, John 1.12. But to all who believe him and accept him, 
are what? Given the right to be called children of God. Okay? But Paul says this, very, listen very carefully. Philippians 2.15, I think we had that in Scripture. Philippians 2.15 says this, Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining as bright star lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Did you hear that? See, as God's children, He forgives us when we ask for forgiveness. He takes that sin, wipes it away so we can come before a holy God. And He says this, Since you're my children now, I want you to do this for me. I want you to live clean, innocent lives. Shine like lights for me in a very dark, perverse world. Hold firm to this truth because this is what's going to help you. This is what's going to help you. Either sin keeps you from this book or this book's going to keep you from sin. Amen? So open it. Read it. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I will not sin against thee. Right? 2 Corinthians 6, 14-18 says this. Listen very carefully. Don't team up with unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? What union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we're the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers. Separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I'll welcome you. I'll be your father. You'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Paul makes it very clear when he wrote this in 2 Corinthians. He makes it very clear that we should stand out as believers in this world. We are going to live different. Why? Because the world lives in a very sinful way. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, we can't live in that same sinful way. We're going to live different. And because we're going to go against the flow, people are going to look at us and say, that's different. You're weird. Yes. Yes. Because my God's a holy God who cannot stand sin. So if I'm doing the sinful stuff, I'm not honoring the God who loves me, who I said I'm following. You can't follow God and walk in the opposite direction. It just doesn't work. We're on His team. Our allegiance was with Him. Our citizenship is in His kingdom. So I say this to you, church. Know who you are. Ask yourself these questions because Paul gives us pictures of separation here that are unbelievable. He says this, don't become partners with those who reject God. Can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? No. To be unequally yoked, when it would be talking about putting maybe a donkey, these yokes where they would put these, uh, the bulls in or, or oxen in to pull a plow, you wouldn't put a donkey in one and an ox in another. That's being unequally yoked. You need two oxen to pull. Is light best friends with dark? No. You'll know when you walk into a room. It's dark. You turn on the light, where's the darkness? It's gone. You turn off the light. When light leaves, guess what comes? Darkness. There's no rooms that are half light and half dark. It doesn't work that way. It's either light or dark. Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Absolutely not. Do trust and mistrust hold hands? Nope. What do you think about setting up pagan temples, satanic idols in God's holy temple? How do you think that goes over? Nope. But that's exactly what we are. Paul says, each of us is a temple in whom God lives. God himself put it this way. I'll live in them. I'll move into them. I'll be their God. 
they'll be my people. So leave the compromise. Leave the corruption. Leave it for good, says God. Don't link up with those who pollute you. I want you all for myself. I'll be a father to you. You'll be my sons and daughters. Those are God's words. But verse 17, listen to verse 17 of that same scripture. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers. Separate yourself. Separate yourself from them, says the Lord. Separate means to mark off boundaries. To separate means black is black, white is white. There is no gray. We live in a world where things have become very gray. We live in a world where there seems to be no more absolutes. Well, that's sort of right for them. That's sort of wrong. No, right is right and wrong is wrong. Let's, work, let's, let's test this, okay? Hey, are you ready for school yet? Well, uh, it, it's a yes or no question. Either you're ready for school or you're not ready for school. Well, I still got to put my shoes on. Then you're not ready for school. So the answer is no. Okay, no, I'm not ready for school. Okay. Hey, do you have your homework done yet? Well, not quite. It's a yes or no answer. Is your homework done? Yes or no? I have a couple more problems and the answer is no. See, we have a hard time with negativity and those kind of things, don't we? Hey, is, is, is supper done? Well, it's almost, it's not done yet. Okay, that's right. I'm, 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 not that I'm starving. I'm just, just curious. Is it done? Yes or no, right? Is the trash picked up? Well, I've just got a few more bags and the answer is no. So it's not, you didn't get the trash picked up yet. Uh, no. Okay, now that sounds like a harsh, but you see what we do? A lot of times we're like, well, well, it's yes or no. Hey, either we're living the holy life or we're not living the holy life. Either we're doing the right things or we're doing the wrong things. There is no, I'm doing sort of right. I'm doing sort of wrong. So it's sort of okay. That's not the way it works. Not with a holy God. I don't know if Achan heard God say, completely destroy. Hey, Achan, did you completely destroy that rope? Well, I, I sort of... No, you buried it. You kept it. You buried it. You took it. So the answer would be no. See, when God says separate yourself from unbelievers, from things that are going to cause us to sin, he said, what he means is this. Mark off boundaries. So if you're playing a game of tag, okay, kids, help me on this. Is there not a balance, yes or no? When you play tag? So you could run all the way from Delta to Toledo in a game of tag? We're not playing tag with you ever. I would, I would be done. I'd be done. When you have games, basketball, soccer, football, pick a, pick a sport, swimming, you have lanes. You have out of bounds. There's always boundaries. When you're driving down a road through West Virginia, winding through the mountains, there's guardrails. There's boundaries. Because on the other side of that guardrail is a drop-off. It's probably death, right? In the games that you play, when you're out of bounds, you're out. God says, I'm marking off boundaries, okay? I'm asking you, as a holy God, to stay within the boundaries. There's plenty of freedom within these boundaries. Quit looking outside the lines. There's nothing good out there for you. I've given you everything you need right here. Just trust me. Just trust me. So when it comes to God's commands on how to live, remember this. If it's clear... It's clear. Does that make sense? 
I was wondering what God has to say about this, and this is what he says in the book of Matthew. Was that clear? Well, yeah, then we're done. You made it clear, right? Don't take God's word and twist it to make it fit for your situation. If it's clear, it's clear. If it's not clear, God's spirit will let you know. If you feel sort of funny about what you're doing, like, I don't know if I really should be doing this. That's probably God's spirit saying, you probably shouldn't be doing this. He'll make it clear. Talk to him about it. And somebody in here might now by, might be thinking, so we're not supposed to associate with unbelievers? That's not what it said. That's not what the passage is about. We have to associate with, with those who don't know Jesus Christ. Why? So we can share the love of Jesus Christ with them. Because we love others, we want them to know Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, don't partner with them in marriage, in business, things like that. Because God said what? Achan tasted defeat, right? And I'm not going to try to convince you to, to listen to God's word on this, I'm going to ask you to listen to God's word on this. Okay. Worship team, would you please come forward? As we wrap this up, I guess this is what I, church, I want you to hear. True North. Sort of our camp, okay? We don't want sin in our camp. Not just True North as a church, all the churches that are out there, God's people that are out there. When you see a brother or sister in Christ that you know, maybe they go to another church and you know they're struggling, they're making some mistakes, just think, we don't need sin in the camp. We don't need disobedience in the family. We're God's children. He's called us to live to a higher standard. So here's the thing. When you're on his team, you're in his family. And living is different. Living is different. So ask yourself, do you trust God? Do you trust God to provide for you? Do you trust God to provide for you enough that you don't have to be dissatisfied with what you have? So you don't have to look at other things and start saying, well, I wish I had that. Because where does that lead? Dissatisfaction. Start looking around. And you start taking what isn't yours. I encourage you today, do a heart check. If there's sin in your life right now that's causing defeat, confess it. Are there boundaries in your life that you're crossing or you've been tinkering around with and playing around with? Confess it. Are there things you need to dig up and give back to God? Confess it. David said this in Psalm 32, 5. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I'll confess my rebellion to the Lord. and You forgave me. And all my guilt is gone. Here's the good news. God forgives our sins. He desires for us to be victorious. Church, I could have had a sermon this morning and say, hey, let's, let's talk about some really cool things about God's love, which we always talk about. Or let's talk about giving. Or let's talk about this or that. But here's the thing. What kind of church do we want? Here's the kind of church I want. That I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of church that understands this. Sin can't be present in our lives. I'd rather have a church that's willing to get on their knees and ask forgiveness of God and say, cleanse me, God. Forgive me, God. Get rid of this junk in my life because I want to be victorious for you. Walking around with church that's feeling defeated all the time, that's no good. God didn't call us to live in defeat. Do you really think he wanted them to run into AI and be defeated? No. But he had to show them, listen, you can't be victorious for me unless you get right with me. Church, I want to be part of a church that is right with God so we can be victorious for God, so we can be like a light shining to the rest of this world that's struggling with darkness right now. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. How about you? Would you please stand and pray?
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this reminder that we can't be victorious in you unless we've confessed to you. God, right now, do a search in our hearts. If some of us are struggling with things right now, Lord, dig it up. God, we know some of the things in our lives that we've tried to hide from you. We can hide them really good from other people. But we can't hide it from you, you know. So God, speak to us. Lord, may your spirit right now just start nudging us from the inside out, saying, you need to confess us. That's you this morning. Go ahead, right where you're standing. Confess to God what's going on in your life. God, I'd love to believe that I have a perfect family, but I don't. I'd love to say that I'm perfect, but I'm far from it. I make mistakes, my family makes mistakes. We have to humbly get on our knees and confess that. So God, as a church, we come to you this morning and say, Lord, we confess our sins. God, we're not doing it just so that we can be victorious in life. We're doing this because it's the right thing to do. To come before a holy God, we need to admit we're not. Forgive us, Lord our sins, remove our guilt. Let us worship you freely. Let us live for you as bright, light stars. Thank you, God, for forgiving us. Thank you for loving us. We sing to you now, God, in celebration. We sing to you because we love you. In my name we pray. Amen.